On this episode of Inside Music Cast, we celebrate our five-year anniversary by bringing you one of the most recognized vocalists on the planet, Michael McDonald. in Ferguson, Missouri, playing in several bands in the St. Louis area, to his venture west to Los Angeles and finding his way into his favorite band, Steely Dan, Michael McDonald made a name for himself and became one of the premier vocalists on the L.A. scene. From his stint with Steely and the Doobie Brothers, Michael created connections that eventually launched him into session work with some incredible names in the industry, such as James Ingram, Toto, Christopher Cross, Kenny Loggins, Aretha Franklin, Patti LaBelle, and so many others. Michael eventually found his way to Nashville, Tennessee, where he continues his music career along with his wife Amy and his son Dylan. Inside Music Cast is proud to welcome Michael McDonald to our fifth anniversary podcast episode. Hey, Michael, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. I wanted to start uh, the interview by thanking a couple of people who connected us to you, and, and uh, it was it was Inside Music Cast correspondent Scott Gross who connected us to uh, Bernie Chiravalli, uh, who plays guitar with you, obviously, for the, mm-hmm. like the past 25 years. And, yeah. and, of course, it was Bernie who connected us to you, so I just want to start off by thanking them. Yeah, really. And, uh, you know, we really feel fortunate to have you on the show. And, and in fact, this is uh, Inside Music Cast's fifth anniversary, so this uh, interview is really special for us, and we're, we're glad to have you on board for this one. Yeah, thanks. Glad to be here. You know, when Eddie and I were talking about some of the topics we wanted to discuss with you, we, we thought to ourselves, you know, where do we even begin? Because, you know, your history, your discography, your relationships in the music business are, are so vast that, you know, it'll, it'll be impossible to even touch on everything in a short time we have with you. So I want to start off with my first question, you know, with, with all that you've accomplished in your career, uh, you know, just in a nutshell, what has been the most satisfying for you? I mean, your, your role as a band member, a solo artist, a producer, or, you know, as a backing vocalist or, or, a, or a musician? I mean, is, is this even a fair question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, 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 you know in some ways it, it, it's almost not. But uh, I, because, you know, there are all sorts of different experiences, you know, uh, as yeah. you probably have already guessed. And, um, you know, for my time uh, as a just coming up in, in music, uh, um, in clubs, and and uh, as a kid, you know, there was just nothing better than that. And then, you know, I always had aspirations to do something more. Not quite sure what that would be, and always wanted to kind of get into making records. And uh, um, 
you know, I, I, so as, as things just kind of unfolded and, and, and doors opened along the way, and there was plenty of doors that closed, you know. But, uh, you know, as we all learned pretty quickly that those are just doors closing, it, it doesn't mean that uh, something better isn't, you know, and in most cases, I think that's really what most people experience in life is like, you know, you, yeah. you have your mindset on one thing, but, um, you know, a lot of times uh, if that doesn't pan out, it, it turns out to be a blessing in disguise, you know. Right, right. And a number of reasons, you know, uh, and that was my experience coming up, you know, it's like, um, uh, you know, the, so many things happened to me seemingly by accident, but uh, I'm glad they happened that way because my best uh, thinking probably wouldn't have, uh, you know, turned out to be nearly as um, fulfilling, you know, on a personal level, mm-hmm. at least, you know, um, uh, in, in musically speaking. Uh, I learned so much in the areas I least expected to even be, much less, you know, learn something from. So, I, I you know, for me, it's always been a kind of an exercise in... Um, not getting, you know, not wrestling anything to the ground, you know, uh, yeah. which I, I'm pretty good at doing, you know. <laughs> we all are. You know, uh, so, you know, letting go and just kind of uh, letting things kind of dictate their own path uh, has always been something that I, I, I really believe in. I, I'm never not, never that good at it, but I, I, I find in the end if I can just somehow get out of my own way that uh, there's always something, you know, something else to do that's coming down the pipe that's, uh, you know, that I, I probably wouldn't have thought of, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I want to ask you a question because you're talking about, you know, the, your roots, which sometimes are, you know, even for a lot of musicians that we've interviewed, you know, they always say the same thing about my journey has sort of been an accidental, you know, journey of, of blessings and opportunities, and they, they just sort of just happen. It's a lot about timing. But uh, so I can appreciate that. But I want to go just back just a little bit further because I sort of want to get into a little bit of, of your influences. You know, every, you're, you're really known as a, uh, an R&B and, and soul lover, but, you know, in growing up in St. Louis, uh, were you exposed to to R&B? And I'm curious to know as to what music uh, was a part of your childhood, and how did you uh, discover that you had talent? Well, you know, early early uh, early on, I started uh, actually singing with my dad, who was a singer oh, um, okay. in, in, around the St. Louis area, and had a, he had a beautiful voice, you know, kind of a tenor voice, and mm-hmm. uh, and. Um, I guess he would have been, you know, kind of classified as an Irish tenor singer. You know, he sang a lot of uh, yeah. Irish songs, and, and uh, that was pretty much his cultural background. Uh, all his brothers and sisters were born in Ireland, and him and his younger sister were the only ones actually born here in the States. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, so, you know, uh, they were all raised here, you know, but uh, my grandmother and grandfather were from Ireland. And so there was, a, you know, that, that whole overall culture of, uh, you know, kind of, Irish culture, Catholic culture was pretty much uh, our experience growing up, and, and mm-hmm. certainly was his. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, he loved to sing, and he loved, uh, uh, like uh, most Irish I know, have a weakness for any kind of a good song, you know, and, and, uh, or a <laughs> songwriter. And in my family, I, I often tell people that, you know, the two things that I, I uh, could have done that would have pleased my parents was either become a priest or a songwriter. So, you know, I, just, <laughs> I picked the one where I actually maybe had a chance, you know. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I mean, and so I kind of grew up in that, that, that kind of culture. My folks just loved uh, songs and uh, lyrics and, you know, uh, poetry and you know, stuff like that. But, you know, very much uh, every man's kind of, you know, poetry. They weren't 
really academics or, or you know very sophisticated in their musical or, or you know but so I grew up you know listening to well I think it's a lot of great music but mostly they were like the pop songwriters of the day and uh, you know musicals and uh, you know my uh, my aunt my sister used to go to all the musicals so I, I grew up as a big fan of Oscar uh, Hammerstein and uh, Richard Rogers and cool. Rogers and Hart and things like that and those kind of songs Ray Charles my dad and I have great love of Ray Charles and Nat Cole and uh, Frank Sinatra, you know, people like that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I discovered R&B kind of as, just right before I became a teenager. Uh, and uh, I think probably mostly for my sister, Kathy, because that was her era, you know, era, early 60s, she was in high school and, mm-hmm. um, or about high school age and you know, I I still remember most vividly one time uh, one of her friends, uh, who was a, a, a kind of a neat guy. I thought he, you know, he had a really uh, souped-up car. You know, <laughs> one that uh, yeah. had the stereo stereo system with the eight-track tape player in there. You know, yeah. and he pulled up on the lawn one day. They were just kind of acting crazy, and they all got out of the car, and they were, uh, you know, the car doors were swung wide open, and he was blasting uh, Edwin Starr. Uh, song Stopper on Site. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, SOS Stopper on Site. And, <laughs> you know, it was just, you know, we, first of all, I hadn't heard a stereo that good probably <laughs> ever before. And, you know, that song just really resonated with me. The, the style of music really resonated with me. I remember at that time I was in a band, and I was about 12 years old, and we were playing the Rolling Stones and the Kinks, and we were playing all the, you know, kind of uh, English rock stuff, you know, and, uh, yeah. When I heard that music, it was just so infectious, and I thought, you know, it was just so kind of sophisticated in a ways that some of the more of the pop bands that I was playing weren't. You know, it was the was just really groove music, you know, and yeah. and and, I, and it just struck me. I don't know why. I remember thinking to myself as I was standing in the doorway, going, you know, someday if I ever make records, that's the kind of, <laughs> you know, it was like I was admitting to myself that that's really the kind of music I'd like to record or, or, or mm-hmm. play, you know, mm-hmm. if I ever got a chance to, you know, really do this for a living, you know, and, uh, and you know, I, I just kind of, from that moment on, fell in love with a lot of, uh, you know, R&B acts that uh, I grew up listening to, and then uh, as I kind of grew out of the garage band phase into, uh, you know, more of a working uh, musician uh, playing nightclubs, uh, at a very young age, uh, um, which probably wouldn't happen today with all the you know, uh, state liquor laws and stuff that <laughs> they were a lot looser back then, you know. Yeah. And, uh, How old were you? you know, we were, well, we were about 14, 15 years old. My friend and I, uh, uh, Chuck Sabatino, who's a guy who played with me for many years. Yeah, yeah. Passed away, you know, just recently. But we were 14, 15 years old. We were playing, you know, nightclubs where they were selling liquor. As long as we didn't drink, that was the understanding that we <laughs> yeah. could play there as long as we had, like, adult supervision. And so our manager was, he was an adult and, uh, so he would, you know, pretty much keep a pretty close eye on us, and we we, we never thought about taking a drink because we, we never wanted to lose our gig, you know. I mean, that was right, right. kind of the thing. But um, we played with some pretty good bands, he and I, you know, uh, and then with guys that were typically a bit older than us, four to five years older than us, um, you know, guys in their early 20s, and we were, like I say, 14, 15. So they introduced us to a lot of uh, music we'd, hadn't really heard or it had maybe come just prior to our generation, which uh, was uh, 
someone like Bobby Bland and uh, uh, you know James Brown and all, all those uh, those acts that were right. really in that same era, but uh, some older R and B acts, you know, Louis Jordan and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I can, you know, was they were huge in St. Louis when I was a kid. So, right, right. Uh, and they were already on their way to you know pretty much international national stardom, you know, becoming kind of R and B icons themselves. You know, so. We were surrounded by a lot of great music as kids, and um, I don't think I appreciated it nearly as much then as I do now. Yeah. Well, you know, you were talking about some of the bands that you might you were in, in in high school, and some of the names of those bands were bands like Mike and the Majestics, Jerry J and the Sheratons, the the Reeb Tours, the Del Rays, and the Guild, and and eventually another band called Blue. Is that correct? That's yeah. Right. Well, did I'm just curious. Just you know, uh, I'm assuming all the all the artists you just talked about were you know music that you guys were playing. But did you guys even have the ability to record any of those uh, bands during that time? Yeah, we did. Uh, unfortunately, they've been lost to uh, you know. That's what I was curious sucked about. Up, sucked up by the cosmos somewhere. <laughs> Hopefully, that's where they'll stay. But uh, you know, we we did we did a little bit of recording, and it was it was you know great learning experience for us all you know uh none of us were really uh, all that savvy about the recording process if you know what i mean we, sure. you know we would go into like a small studio somewhere in the middle of a cornfield in illinois with a a guy who was kind of a hobbyist uh, recording engineer and right. uh and do our best you know but but you know we 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 were introduced to it uh little by little and and then started to really uh get the desire to write our own music, you know, mm-hmm. which was, uh, uh, that's, that came along around, just before I left St. Louis, I started to actually write songs uh, in, in more consistently, you know. You know, a second ago I mentioned that band called Blue, uh-huh. and whenever I would research Blue, I didn't find a lot of information, but what I did find was pretty much the same information on, on almost every source that I came across, and that uh, was, uh, being in Blue was, was when you were, discovered and and who was it that discovered you and what was it that led you out to los angeles in 1970 well um we used to play in a town uh, in a college town called champaign illinois where the university of illinois uh, oh yeah oh yeah we know that well and uh and so we played a lot of the clubs in that town uh we played there pretty regularly and uh, a guy who was from that town at the time had gone out to california and he was uh kind of you know uh I think he did a stint with the New Christie Minstrels and kind of in that folk singer-songwriter uh, genre. And uh, he came up as a staff producer with RCA Records. Uh, his name was Rick Gerard. Okay. And he produced um, Nielsen's Aerial Ballet album, uh, and he was the staff producer on, uh, or, the, or the, the producer on uh, the Surrealistic Pillow album, Jefferson Airplane. And... Um, and a lot of the Jose Feliciano, uh, or his mm-hmm. first album, Light, wow. Light My Fire and all that. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, what, he was home on vacation, and he came down and heard us play, and he, uh, his brother approached me, and, and, uh, and then uh, I, through his brother I came to know Rick, and, and they moved me out, you know, eventually offered me a deal with RCA Records. And I moved out to California and uh, worked there uh, for Rick, you know, uh, a lot as a... Uh, got a lot of good experience in the studio with Rick, you know, uh, playing on other dates uh, that he produced as a keyboard player. And, um, it t- you know, it was a real learning experience for me, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, that I've always uh, you know, been grateful for. Um, and um, 
we, you know, we made made some records we, we for uh, RCA and and for Bell Records, uh, which was Arista Records before it became Arista. Right. right. And uh, we, uh, you know, nothing ever came of those recordings much. You know, um, I just you know probably wasn't really you know ready to uh, be considered so seriously as a you know a solo artist. But uh, you know, Rick uh, did. You know, he he had a certain amount of faith in me that at least someday I would, you know. But, uh, uh, you know, as, as time wore on, uh, you know, I, I started to work um, as a sideman, you know, with different bands around the L.A. area. And um, I went on to, uh, on the road with uh, Steely Dan uh, right. in the early uh, 70s, you know, uh, as a keyboard player, singer, uh Got that job to a good friend of mine, Jeff McCarl, and uh, oh yeah, and you know uh, went from there to the Doobie Brothers, thanks to uh, Jeff Baxter, who was uh, who I had met in Steely Dan, and uh, so you know it was just uh, this, this kind of the way those things happen. You know, somebody refers you, and, and it uh, you know uh, luckily enough, I was able to do those things at the time, and uh, they were turned out to be really incredible opportunities. From the timelines that I've seen, everything that I've I've known about your experience with Steely Dan, you know, you joined. The date that I have was like sometime in '75 is when you kind of hooked up with Steely Dan. Is that right, or did you actually go out on the road with them earlier? You no, know, I, I actually joined Steely Dan. I think in 1972. 72. Like okay. Uh, it was the Doobies I joined in '75. Uh, okay. With, uh, okay. And that was the year we released uh, "Take Into the Streets." Well, you just mentioned Jeff Percaro a second ago, and, and you said that was the connection to Steely Dan. But tell me a little bit about how you met Jeff and w- what you guys were, or how did you actually uh, connect with him in the first place with Jeff Percaro? Well, uh, Jeff uh, and I had kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I first time I became aware of Jeff, uh, I was playing a club in the valley out there uh, called the Brass Rail. Okay. Uh, and uh, I was playing with a band uh, for some guys from the uh, um, uh, Grassroots. I don't know if you remember the Grassroots. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Sure. Yeah, uh, Terry Perlong. And uh, we had a band called Blue Rose. And um, I was uh, playing with him. And uh, and we were kind of a regular out there. That, that you know, uh, It was a club where a lot of people played. Uh, a lot of bands that had record deals kind of would play there and um, kind of do their showcases, and, and, and then we played original stuff for sure, but we also played, like, old R&B stuff to, so people could dance. And right. It was a kind of combination of a showcase club and, and our dance club. Um, and Jeff came in there one night. He was about, I don't think he was even 16 years old, maybe, <laughs> yeah. with a band uh, that he, some kids from high school, and I think David Page might have been in there. Was that, was that a band called Rural Still Life? No, it was a band called, uh, what was their, the street that they lived on? Uh, Marietta was the name of the band. Okay. Marietta. Okay. <laughs> and uh, they, uh, they they were kind of like a, a young, uh, uh, almost out-of-control fusion band. <laughs> they, were just, <laughs> you know, they were really good players for, the, for being that age. Oh, yeah. And uh, their material was really kind of complex and, you know, how, you know, really, uh, you know, they were just showing everything they had, you right, know, right. you know, all the time. And, uh, and they were great, but, you know, uh, the thing I remember the most was Jeff, every song ended with about a minute's worth of cymbal uh, solos, you know. 
<laughs> and uh, he was just all over those cymbals, you know. And uh, and I remember that guy, that kid's a tremendous drummer. Man. Yeah. And uh, but uh, they were just and, and you know they seemed so young, you know, when they came in there. It was almost like uh, where did these kids come from? You know? Right, right. And uh, you know, uh, but they were great, and uh, that was. I, I, it was enough that certainly I noticed him and and them, and I didn't see him again for a couple of years. And, and we played a, a gig together. It was a, a rap party for uh, you remember the TV show Emergency with Kevin Ty? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they they were wrapping up their season, and it was a Christmas party, and uh, so they wanted a band. And I, at the time, uh, worked with a girl bass player a lot, who went on the road with the Harry James Orchestra and couldn't do the show, so she asked me to cover that gig, you know, uh, and put a band together. And you know, I said, sure, you know, and in a typical fashion, I waited till the last minute, and didn't, you know, <laughs> didn't do any rehearsing or anything. We just, I was just calling people frantically, you know, uh, seeing if they were available. And, and for Christmas week, it was tough to find anybody who wasn't playing somewhere, you know. So this friend of mine, uh, Steve Leeds, sax player, Said to me, look, relax. I know the cats, and I'll call them. And don't worry about it. Let me, let me. I'll, I'll put a band together like that, and right, uh, right. you'll be happy. And and we'll all. And I said, well, you know, we might have to rehearse. And they're going, ah, these guys don't need to rehearse. Just <laughs> 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 you know, just put, you know, just get a list of songs, and we'll play them down, and nobody will know, you know. So uh, you know, I said, okay, you know. So it's what turned out to be Jeff Beccaro, uh David Page, myself. Uh, a guitar player friend of mine, uh, Ken Henry, and um, Steve played saxophone, and I think uh, Steve Picaro came down and played. Everybody just kind of switched <laughs> chairs all night. Then <laughs> <laughs> we played probably the same set of songs over and over again. But by the after the first set, everybody was so drunk they didn't care. Play it again. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah. So we uh, we just lied and said we had another request for this or that, and. and um, but we had a good time, and the band was great. You know, for being just uh, you know no rehearsal, just they were the kind of guys that you know could jam and, and, and sound good. You know, and uh, so that night, uh, talking to Jeff, he was telling me about this album he was working on, and he was he was by then maybe nineteen, and already like one of the top studio drummers in in Los Angeles. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, he was playing on this. Uh, Steely Dan record, Pretzel Logic. Yep. He was talking about how uh, you know it was really great stuff and the band was great, but uh, you know the guys were beating them up pretty good in the studio and you know and I was listening to these stories thinking, God, I'm so jealous because <laughs> that was one of my favorite bands at the yeah. time. You know, yep. uh, the, uh, the uh, Countdown to Ecstasy record had kind of already come out and they were pretty well known. This was like their second or third record. You know? mm-hmm, sure. So uh, I. Uh, I was just going, wow, that's so great, you know. And, uh, you know, he was, they were in the middle of that record, and uh, he was saying, well, you know, they might even tour, which I told him I'd go out on the road with if they tour. Well, for about a year after that, easily at least a year, maybe a year and a half, I get this call, you know, and it's Jeff Picaro, and he says, uh, leaves me a message saying, you know, uh, hey, man, um, can you come down to audition at uh, Modern Music in uh there were, were auditioning guys to play some keyboards and, and uh, who can sing. And I, I, you know, I told the guys about you and so you can get down here. So I, I called him back and I, I threw my piano and my pinto and 
drove right there, and um, I didn't really expect anything to come of it, but I just couldn't pass up the opportunity, you know, and I didn't have any gear or anything. I just had a, a beat-up little Wurlitzer that, you know, the keyboard was, like, mm-hmm. kind of half-collapsed on it, you know. And, I bet it was um, worth more than the Pinto, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> and, and actually worked better than the Pinto, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, make a long story short, I auditioned, and um, I don't think they, they thought that much of my keyboard playing, but I could cover the parts that they needed, and what they really uh, what really got me the job was I was able to sing all the high parts in my right. full voice. You know? So uh, that kind of appealed to Donald, and, and uh, so I wound up getting this, this job of my dreams. You know, I, I never dreamed I'd be playing with this guy, this band. It was, my, like I said, my favorite all-time band at the moment, yeah. you know. And, um, you know, how many times does that happen? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I, I went on the road with them that year, and we played all over the world, really. We played, uh, we didn't play in Asia, but we did play all through Europe and uh, mm-hmm. the United States. And and then it was over as fast as it began. It was like maybe the one and only tour they were ever going to do, you know. Cause yeah. At the end of that tour, Donald and Walter disbanded the group, and uh, um, that was it. But they were starting another record and they asked me to come in and sing and some stuff so um, they wound up putting my picture on the record for reasons yeah. I'm still not sure of you know but uh, <laughs> I was, it was a thrill you know I mean and, sure. and Jeff uh, we were both pictured on the album cover but I wasn't really a member of the band I just was a sideman but uh, you know I, I always was thrilled to get the opportunity to sing in the studio with those guys you know I'm not yeah. and over the years I, I sang on subsequent records and um, but you know for that brief moment in time when playing was like the best band I ever played with and sure. probably thought maybe it was the best band I would ever play with uh, and never dreamed you know I would be back on stage with those guys in this lifetime again and yeah. Yeah. so you know a couple of years ago we, we got to go out and, and open for Steely Dan and right, play with right. those guys it was just for me you know it was one of those things I just had to pinch myself you know, <laughs> Here I, here I am back on stage with these guys and it was a real thrill for me it was really uh, yeah. I've always you know, been a huge fan we and our listeners are huge Steely Dan fans and uh, when it comes down to the albums that you uh, performed on I mean that includes Katie Lied, Royal Scam, Asia, and Gaucho. So here's here's a tough question. I mean, because I think we ask ourselves this question, and sometimes it's like, well, geez, I can't choose. But out of these albums that you performed on, do you have a favorite? And uh, and and a sort of a follow up is, you know, were, do you recall any particular song on any of these uh, performances on these albums that were exceptionally challenging for you vocally? Uh well, you know, the one song that sticks out to me, I think mm-hmm. it was. Katie lied, if I'm not mistaken. Really? Uh, that I didn't make it on, you know, uh, is the one that really sticks with me. It was a, a song called Dr. Wu. I, right. I love this song. And um, the part was so hard from a breath standpoint. You know, it was really, uh, you know, um, I always had to kind of adjust for my lack of wind, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and you know, not being a really trained vocalist, you know, I, I yeah, right. was just kind of a bar singer and, you know, um, so I, it, it, this part was kind of particularly difficult, you know, and um, it, yeah, it ultimately took, I think, probably whoever wanted to do it was very professional, you know, saying with a lot of control, you know. But I practiced that thing until I was blue in the face, literally, and uh, uh, just didn't, didn't cut it, you know, just couldn't, you know, I, I tried it in the studio a bunch of times and gave it my best, but I, I just didn't make the cut mm-hmm. on that one. 
So that always stuck out to me. I always felt disappointed in myself for not, you know, getting that that track. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I just thought somehow I'm going to get this, but it just wasn't to be. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I was thinking about this last night, and, um, you know, you were kind of with Steely Dan during that, you know, 72 to 1980 period, and, and of course, uh, I think it was, you said 75 when you joined the Doobies, and I was wondering about how you managed to, um, you know, your role in both of those bands. How, how did that work from a time perspective? Did you ever run into any conflicts? Um, no, not really, because one kind of subsided as the other one started you know i wasn't uh wasn't like i ever they ever overlapped really you know uh, okay and uh steely dan i think had decided at that point that they were never going to tour again donald walter you know yeah so i i would be in i would go in the studio with them from time to time but um you know even at that point in time i think i was maybe coming an all too familiar sound on their records you know and they were looking to expand into other stuff you know and, and evolve away from you know, uh, that's the, the sound that everybody, you know, kind of associated with them. And, and they were getting a little more into a more of a jazzy uh, arena, you know. And so that was about the time I took up with the Dukes. And uh, I, that happened uh, strictly, again, by pure accident almost. Uh, you know, uh, Jeff Baxter, uh, at one point, Tommy's uh, health had really taken a, a bad turn. Right. And, uh, unable to travel and they were in the middle of a tour and he was hospitalized with you know some pretty serious ulcers and stuff mm. like that and so um, they needed to finish this tour or, or blow off these days and they decided to try to finish the tour and they called me just to come out and help as a sideman do some singing and some keyboard because they had three guitar players at that point they didn't really need you know another guitar player as much as they needed a a keyboard player, you know. So I, I went and, uh, went out and, and rehearsed the show and with them in New Orleans uh, and uh, continued the tour starting in Shreveport, Louisiana. And uh, and by the time we got done with that tour, we wound up in Hawaii, you know, of all places. And uh, I think we, we toured Japan that year and uh, Australia. And it was, you know, just a real whirlwind deal. Uh, at which point, towards the end, uh, we were looking at the band needed to, they were kind of overdue. Uh, they had done a record every year, so this was the first time they were a little late in giving the record. And yeah. I think the, the label was really holding out and holding all hope for Tommy to you know, return uh, in the studio with the band. And, and he did at that time. Uh, however, uh, you know, his health wasn't that, that all that uh, great at the time, so he was... Uh, at a little bit of a disadvantage, you know. Uh, you know, the guys uh, just somehow invited me you know, into the fold to do some writing and, and uh, play in the studio with them, you know. So uh, then the whole thing just kind of uh, evolved from there. Uh, and, uh, Taken to the Streets album was, uh, was what came out of that, you know. Well, let's uh, take a quick breather, and I want to play a track from the Gathering of Friends DVD that was released back in 2001. And this is a uh, track called All I Need. And on this particular track, Michael was joined on stage by past Inside Music cast guest Tommy Sims. So let's check it out. If you ever fear, hello, hello, if the weight of the world is on your shoulder, <laughs> and it looks like you get more than your share. 
Well, I know how you feel. I've been down and out many, 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 many times before. And Michael taught me this. The best that you can wish for, the most that you can hope for, is hope itself. Ladies and gentlemen, Tommy Sims, Mr. Michael McDonald. Thank you. Sing this one for our life. Listen. Like a river running to the sea. Yeah, yeah. Must be a reason for all these shattered dreams. Starts with our believing and ends with our backs against the wall. Yeah, say it again, brother. If I'm not careful, I might convince myself. Oh, yeah. This is the way it's always gonna be. Oh, no, no, In my whole life, one. Open 
One of the greatest talents coming up here in the music business, Mr. Tommy Sims. In 82, when you released your first uh, project, if uh, that's what it takes, um, a great song uh, was featured on this album that became a, a, a huge hit. It's called I Keep Forgetting. And coincidentally, it featured uh, two of your siblings, Kathy and Maureen, singing on this track. And I remember very, very clearly when I heard the, the female vocals singing in unison, uh, an echo of the, of the chorus, um, I really thought that it was one person, of course, that had been doubled in the, in the track itself. But it was basically two individuals. Tell us how, how they got on the album. Well, actually, on that particular track, uh, you were right the first time. Uh, it was just my sister Maureen on that one. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 you, and uh, you were right. She, it was her doubled on that one. Okay. Kathy did sing on a lot of my records also. Uh, yeah. But uh, on that particular one, I just used Maureen's voice, and uh, every once in a while I, I can get her up there to sing it with me, you know. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. She's in the booth. <laughs> but, uh, but she, she's, they're both great singers so I'm surrounded by good singers yeah, yeah. but the album also featured I Gotta Try who you co-wrote with uh, a past Inside Music Cast guest Kenny Loggins so uh, uh, what, was right. your, what was your first project uh, w- with Kenny Loggins and how did you guys uh, come together well it was uh, kind of a, a referral I mean um, Tyran Porter had been talking to Kenny uh, somewhere and uh Kenny had mentioned an interest in maybe writing with me, and uh, Tyran passed on the information and, and gave me Kenny's number, so I called him, and uh, we decided to, to, to get together. Uh, and I was a huge fan of Kenny's, you know, and Loggins and Messina stuff, and um, pretty nervous about getting together with him, to be honest with you. I, uh, mm-hmm. The day we were scheduled to get together, I was at my house, and my sister Maureen came by and decided that it, such a pigsty that she was going to clean it up before Kenny Loggins <laughs> forgot came to my house, you know. And uh, so she's running around the house, you know, cleaning out ashtrays that were like piled <laughs> cigarette butts and stuff, you know? and uh, and spraying, uh, you know, deodorizer uh, around the room. And I was at the piano and I'm playing her some things that I thought I would play for Kenny that were just song ideas, you know, germs of ideas that. You know, See, you know what she, which ones she thought I should play for him, and uh, one of the things I was playing her was that piano riff from "What a Fool Believes," you know, and um, which was a riff that I just been, you know, kind of messing with the first chords, you know, and and that melody, and I had played it for Ted Templeman over, over the last year or so. I just never was able to, you know, finish the song, you know. Yeah. Uh, or take it anywhere, and uh, I, I remember Ted used to say, "Cut, you gotta finish that one. That one is a hit." <laughs> no one, yeah. no, and, I, and I said, "Well, you know, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'm gonna finish it." You know, I never did. But anyway, I was playing Maureen that uh, little riff, and all of a sudden there was a knock at the door, and it was Kenny. It just came uh, down and uh, found my address. And uh, when I opened the door, the first thing he said to me he goes, "Whatever that was that you were just playing," he goes. That's what I want to work on. Wow, if, <laughs> that's if, cool. If that's uh, if that's up for uh, a co-write, you know, I said sure. You know, so he came in and uh, we just went to work on what a fool believes, and uh, actually wrote it over the next couple of days because we we got so far with it the first day, and then uh, wrote actually the chorus over the phone. You know, about a week later in the week, you know. um, and you know, then he recorded it first. And then the Doobies recorded uh, probably six months later or something 
that. Kim Riley, who's an Inside Music Cast correspondent from Boca Raton, Florida. She wanted to know about uh, your collaboration. This is an interesting one. It's one we both didn't know about, but your collaboration with Van Halen on the song I'll Wait. How did you get connected to the band on this particular song? Well, uh, that was uh, our mutual connection there was Ted Templeman, who produced Van Halen. Uh And um, they had the track, uh, you know, which was just uh, basically, you know, the the rhythm track of the song, and um, that I think they had kind of collaborated on as a band. And uh, Ted mentioned to me that they were having trouble coming up with a melody and a lyric for the track, and would I come down and work with David Lee Roth on that and uh, at, the, at his office there. Uh-huh. So I, I did, and David and I got together, and, and uh, I, you know, I worked with, uh, you know, he sent me the track, so I I tried my best to kind of get a little bit of a jump start on it, to just have something to play him, you know, when I saw him. And so the, we, we, we finished it out, and, uh, and uh, so it, uh, it wound up being, uh, you know, on their, their album, and then was a it was, you know, a great thing for me. It was exciting. That's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To be a part of the, one of their projects. Yeah, sure. no kidding. Hey, Michael, last year we uh, had the, the, the pleasure of seeing you uh, perform at the Chicago Theater with uh, Boss Gags and, and Donald. And, of course, that was the Dukes of September show. Uh, it, was a great, it was a great show. Uh, but people uh, didn't expect to hear a lot of the songs you guys were playing that night. And we, were, uh, we talked recently to uh, John Harrington, of course, who played in the band. And, uh, and he gave us some feedback on that, that show. But tell us your version of how you, Boz, and Donald came up with the whole concept. It was uh, a very interesting show show we loved it you know it, it, it was it's a show that's a, little, a bit indulgent for us i guess but <laughs> i think it's fun for the audience too it's you yeah. know because we uh it, it's pretty much kind of in keeping with uh the footprint that donald and libby uh started years ago uh, they started doing concerts around new york city called the rock and soul review um which uh in latter years the hall and oates kind of uh, right took on that uh name, you know, but uh, back then it was uh, Donald and Libby who put these shows on, and it would be just a a, a whole strange combination of people, Phoebe Snow and myself, Boz, the Brigatti Brothers, the Young Rascals, uh, yeah, well, just, you you name it, I mean, uh, (laughs) there's just all all kinds of uh, of people, and uh, it was fun, it was a lot of fun to do, uh, and we always got to pick our favorite songs that we are kind of our dream song list, you know. Sure. And Don would then boil it down to something that would make a good show, and he would do charts for all of them, yeah. teach the band songs, and, and come up with arrangements, and then uh, kind of act as the MD, which I think is one of those things that Donald really enjoys doing. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this time, uh, you know, I think over the years, it, be- it got to be such a huge undertaking with so many acts that, you know, he wanted to do it again, but he wanted to kind of keep it, uh, to something more manageable, and so he, he asked mm-hmm. Boz and I if we would do it, just the two of us, and, that, and then the idea would be that we would just put together a band with a rhythm section and just stay out there and play the whole night, you yeah. know, <laughs> have people coming to on and off stage, just be a part of the band and, you know, just step forward on this song or that song, you know. Sure, they, yeah. it, you know. So that, that's not like a lot of fun to us, and, it was, you know, uh, kind of uh, gave us all a, sh- a chance at doing, you know, silly things. And uh, yeah, well, there, there were, you know, there were times, you know, when some people in the audience seemed a little disgruntled. Like there was one woman <laughs> in front of me one night that was just she would not let up with the, you know, well, I right, do something we all know and love. You know, 
<laughs> wouldn't give it up. Yeah. Wait a second. By that impersonation, it had to be on the East Coast. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like one of those, you know, I don't know where it was, but she was just, she was totally, you know, she wanted her money back, you know. <laughs> wow. Finally, I think Donald said something to her along the lines of, look, this is a different thing. It's not, you know, if you're not happy, get your money back. Wow. <laughs> you know, wow. But, Are you uh, serious? He told her that? <laughs> uh, it's something, something to that. Effect, <laughs> That's you know, funny. It's a little different show. But yeah. anyway, she finally, uh, you know, relented. and uh, But it was like forever, you know, this woman was just, <laughs> you know, going on. But, uh, you know, we still, most of the time, you know, and, and even that evening, uh, once the audience kind of gets the hang of it and they realize that it, it's just, you know, we're we're trying to be the ultimate wedding band. <laughs> well, it, it was it was sort of funny when uh, in actually during the show when you actually picked up a ukulele and, uh, and later on a banjo and uh, yeah. it sort of freaked people out. Their faces they were looking at each other like, "What the heck's happening here?" But they were sort of digging it, you know. So it was good, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was fun. I can say it's fun for us and, and maybe somewhat indulgent. But um, you know, a lot of these songs that we did too were, were songs that, like for instance, that one of the songs we did that night, I sang with. Uh, one of the girls, uh, Catherine Russell, is a song I hadn't sung that song since uh, since I was 14 years old. You know, so the mm-hmm. last time I had performed that song was with Jerry Jane and the Sheridans, you know? and uh, so it was just it was fun to do that song again, and, you know, for a lot of reasons. And, and of course, the band was it was so great on all the material that you know it just made the whole evening a real joy. You know, that's very cool. And you're going to back out again uh, this summer with Boz, right? Going, Boz and I are going to tour this summer again, and. Uh, I think the Dukes are going to uh, go overseas, uh, hopefully in the next, early part of next year. You know. hmm. Overseas, as in Europe? Europe and, and Asia. That's good to know. We've got a lot of listeners here at Inside Music Cast that will be happy to hear that, that, that are from Europe especially and, and of course, Asia. So uh, a big fan base there. So that's, yeah, yeah. watch out for that tour because <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, that's, 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 that's the plan anyway. Hey, well, we're, we're running long. We've got a ton of questions to ask you, but I, I want to dig into um, your family a little bit and your son, Dylan. And he's following your lead and your musical footsteps. And, and last November, he uh, released his first album titled Out From The Door and under the band name uh, Dylan McDonald and the Avians. And I actually asked Dylan, I chatted with him, and uh, how involved you were in the project. And he said at first he didn't even let you enter the studio door. <laughs> but then he, he said he eventually admitted that uh, you've been a big help and, and that you've, you guys occasionally work together. And, and I just wanted to know, from your perspective, how did you interact with Dylan on this, uh, on this first album? Uh, you know, first of all, I, you know, I, I, I got qualified by saying, you know, uh, one of the biggest thrills of my life is watching him, you know, mature as a musician and right. and his real passion for it and uh and it's really his own thing you know he's so right. different than than me exactly and to the, to the extent that you know musical discussions don't really go well with us <laughs> that's what like, he said <laughs> we're more like two sumo wrestlers <laughs> you know? yeah. uh, but uh, but, but, but it, it, as of lately we have been in the studio together uh doing a project together uh just you know, recording tracks kind of randomly, and uh, one of the projects we've been working on is we're trying to put together like a sampler EP from the label, Jonin uh, label, which is a, a small label I started. Mm-hmm. You know, just for uh, I don't, you know, I can't really come up with a good reason yet, but uh, the main reason was my wife was doing an album, and uh, I wanted to uh, you know have a, a vehicle for her record to come out on. You know, right, right, and it's a beautiful. Beautiful records, yeah. Is that Journey to Miracle River? Journey to Miracle River. And, right. Um, so, uh, you know, with Dylan, he and I have just recently been in the studio a lot more, uh, and uh, we 
recorded a Beach Boys tune, and he did a Neil Young song. So it's been a lot of fun for me recently to be able to get in the studio with him and work on tracks with him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something I've always kind of dreamed of doing, you know. If uh, But, you know, it, it took a little bit because, you know, I, and I, I can appreciate where, you know, he's grown up watching me do this. Sure. Uh, and I think, you know, like much like with my own dad, you know, uh, when I really started to kind of record original music, Probably as much as I love them, I, the last person I wanted to be in the studio with was my dad. You know? <laughs> right. uh, so you know, I had to give him that space for a uh-huh. while. But now we're, we're starting to do things together more, and uh, and and the label has turned out to be a real fun project for all of us. Amy's going to do a second record, and uh, good. Uh, and Dylan's working on a, on a second record of his own right now. But we we're doing this EP, and we're going to try and push it out as a. a to raise funds for um, Japan Red Cross, uh, okay. you know, since the uh, devastation mm-hmm. from the earthquake and the nuclear uh, incident over there, right? Uh, we're just trying to, you know, to, you know, send money and, and awareness that way. You know, nuclear power is still the liability and uh, the danger it's always been. It's, I think, becoming more obvious. That all the things that we all feared the worst are, are going to are happening and are going to keep happening. Right. It's just one of those things where the world needs to come to a, a, a conscious, you know, effort. It's it's not the slam dunk uh, thing that's safe. Obviously, the questions that were there in the beginning are still there. You know, what do you do with the waste? Well, apparently, you know, that whole idea of like, oh, we're going to figure that out, never happened because four times the danger of releasing, you know, radiation into the atmosphere and into the water supply, you know, really came from stored, uh, spent rods. You know, they, they, right. there was four times the danger from uh, radioactive pollution in, in the waste than there was in the reactors themselves, you know. so uh-huh. And if you look at all these facilities all around the world, they're all doing the same thing. They have nowhere to put that stuff, so they keep it uh-huh. on the premises. So if the plant goes down, uh, you know, there's more than just the, the reactors themselves to be afraid of. You know, four times the, rea- uh, the, uh, the damage can be done by just the, the garbage that they can't get rid of, you know. Mm-hmm. So, if, you know, these, these questions have never been answered. It's, it's, a, it's a money deal, and uh, unfortunately it's an inefficient energy source. It's not, you know, uh, the problem with Japan is, is being a small country, they're, they're pretty much 90% reliant on uh, that energy source so that's true hopefully uh, they'll be able to see their way out of this because uh, you know it seems like we tend to build these facilities in the worst places imaginable right on fault lines and you know <laughs> so it's anybody's guess as to you know what the thinking behind this whole industry is but yeah. I think it's something that really needs to be addressed and so with the record what we're trying to do is just raise funds for the Red Cross and, and initially our effort is really only to help people who need a lot of help right now. That's great. Uh, but also, maybe in, in, a, in a kind of an entertaining way, bring uh, just a little bit of common sense uh, view to the to the whole subject. Sure. You know, as it stands, you know. Tell me again the the name of your label you've started, Michael. Uh, the, the label is Chonin Records. Chonin. C H O N. Yeah, C H O N I N. Okay. Um, and uh, it's uh, so far, you know. Uh, Myself, uh, my, uh, my son Dylan, um, and my wife are on the, Robin Ford and I uh, are doing a record right now, and it is at least for right now on Chonin. And uh, uh-huh. uh, we, we may partner up with a, another label, hopefully at some point, to uh, you know 
Uh, but, uh, it, you know, it, we, we're, we're at this point kind of committed to just pushing the music out ourselves, you know, uh, through channels like, like you guys, you know, and on the Internet and uh, just kind of putting it out there so people can listen to what we're up to these days and, uh, you know, kind of uh, have a, a proactive kind of relationship with the audience, you know. Getting back to Dylan real quick, I, I wanted to um, ask, he, he mentioned to me that he's working uh, on a new album. Of course, he released his last album in uh, in October, or November of last year, and he said that this uh, new project he's working on is a little more commercial sounding than his first release. I listened to his first album all the way through, and I really think his voice is very reminiscent of a young John Lennon. And I <laughs> I asked him, do people uh, comment on that? And he goes, oh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> and uh, yeah. of course, you know, style-wise, too, it's a kind of a cross between John Lennon and, and Neil Young. I know he's a big Neil Young fan. Uh, have you had a chance to hear any or hear any of his new material, or have you been working with him on that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, what's what's great to watch with all, all these young. My nephew has a band, and and Dylan, and uh, you know, what's really great to watch with these kids is uh, how each time they get a chance to get in the studio, they they do it, you know, a lot better than the last time. You know, oh, yeah, and, uh, right. So his his new record is really uh, indicative of that. You know, that his he's learned so much about being in the studio, and his music is reflecting that. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, right. And and the tracks, you know. It, kind of gone to a much simpler uh, approach to where it's really just a band where on the last album they did a, a certain amount of overdubbing and orchestration on some stuff and that and it's all great but on this record uh, it's a lot more of a, oh you know uh, just the rhythm section playing the songs down and uh, and you know he maybe overdub his vocal uh, here and there and, and but not a lot of uh, instrumental overdubs you know Right. You've uh, you spent a lot of time in L.A., but now you're currently living in, in the Nashville area, Nashville. Uh, is uh, Dylan also living there, and is he playing a lot in the music scene there in Nashville? Yeah, he is uh, playing around Nashville, and, and Nashville's home for him and, and right. my daughter. Uh, they're pretty dug in there. All their, their friends are there. and uh, But Dylan's uh, music scene is there. You know, I mean, he, he's, he's part of that young Nashville band kind of music scene. Mm -hmm. In fact, he's playing when I get home. At one of the clubs there in, in uh, the Nashville area, so I'll get in just in time to go here and play. Very cool. Well, you know, Dylan uh, sent me a new track he's been working on for his new album project, and he's uh, allowing us to give it a spin here. And this is a track called "She Really Burns Me Up," an Inside Music Cast exclusive. When I'm with her, she makes me look like a millionaire. Oh, and I'm with her She makes me look like a millionaire It really turns me on, 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 on When people stop to stare When I kiss her She makes me feel like it's my first time Oh, and I kiss her She makes me feel like it's my first time She really burns me up, 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 up. Night after night Telling me that everything is gonna be alright 
Stay with your family for a second. You mentioned Amy's release a few years ago, uh, Journey to Miracle River. And uh, you mentioned that also that was produced by your good friend uh, and past IMC guest, Bernie uh, Sherevali. And this album project began after Amy's difficult battle with uh, breast cancer. And it's essentially, I, I think what I've read, it's a, it's a personal account. You know, a lot of the songs, anyway, are a personal account of, her, of this battle and this time period in her life. And I think you and Bernie played a big role in the album. And uh, you had Vince Gill on there and Shannon Forrest, Stuart Duncan, and Tim Akers. And, uh, and I think Dylan also played a role in, in that album as well. And uh, this was her first solo release, I think, in more than 20 years. Is that right? Yeah, it, it was. It's the first record she'd done in, in many years. And uh, you know, like I said, really a beautiful record. Uh, yeah. You guys did uh, her, her and Bernie. And uh, John Goodwin was one of the songwriters. Uh, John Vesner also uh, wrote uh, with them on there. And, uh, you know, all three of those, four of those writers really came up with some just wonderful material. And uh, uh, Amy was, you know, uh, co-writer on, on all of them, on most of it, you know, yeah. uh, I guess all of uh, One, The only outside song they did was a song by Robin Ford called uh, uh, Don't Lose Your Faith. And, yeah. and, uh, and it was, a, it's a beautiful song. And Amy, just, you know, kind of made it her own, you know. Well, one of the tracks on the album is called uh, Don't Lose Your Faith in Me. It's the uh, opening track on Journey to Miracle River, and uh, it's one of my personal favorites. So um, let's go ahead and pause for a second, and let's take a listen to Amy Holland's Journey to Miracle River. This is the track called Don't Lose Your Faith in Me. And 
spoke about Robin Ford a second ago, and you're working on a new project with him, is that right? Yeah, yeah, uh, Robin and I are doing a project, and uh, uh, we, we, we're pretty much at the mix stage. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm jumping into Nashville for 
these couple of days to finish up some things uh, on my end, and then Robin and uh, Shannon Forrest are going to start mixing. And Shannon played drums on a lot of it, uh, along with Toss Panos. And um, uh, Shannon's engineered a lot of it, and uh, and we'll mix some of these tracks coming up here. So well, I was we're hoping to get the you know some stuff finished out and uh, you know pushed out to the audience and let them hear what we're doing. I was curious about your role on this on this project with him. Are, you know, Robin is obviously in the past most of his work is is primarily instrumental. Is that right? I mean, a lot of what I've heard is instrumental. Yeah, a good a good uh, part of it. But he also you know he, he sings a lot on his projects and right. and, and he's a great songwriter. You know, he's, he's a great lyricist and a, and a uh, you know uh, I think songwriter uh, in general. Um, yeah. But he does write a lot of instrumental stuff too. What's your role on this? Are are you uh, Producing? Are you writing? Are you are you singing on this one? Yeah, but all, a little of all of it. I mean, we're, we're it. doing it as a duo record, and okay. Um, so we've written most of the stuff either together or separately, uh, and uh, pretty much producing the record together. You know, uh, along with uh, you know all the the guys, you know the, the guys who are playing on it. Uh, you know, most of the stuff is really very live, and uh, yeah. You know, Again, we haven't done a whole lot of overdubs, just uh, a keyboard overdub here or there and vocals, you know, now that we have all the lyrics written and stuff like that. Uh, but um, it, it's, it's more or less a duo project, and, and we're hoping to go out and play um, the stuff coming, starting up in October, playing some jazz clubs and playing some blues clubs. Uh, it's a very eclectic record. It's not really any one of those things, if you know what I mean. We, yeah. We've got a, a Latin piece on there, and uh, you know some uh, kind of more or less acoustic pieces that, uh, and some things that lean a little bit more towards R and B jazz, and some things that are pretty much straight down the pipe blues uh, things. So it's it's pretty, uh, and then some more on the pop side, you know, uh, uh, R and B stuff. You know. Yeah. Well, as our listeners might have deduced, uh, that uh, you're not a Nashville at home. But uh, currently, we're talking to you while you're at your home in in, uh, in Hawaii. So while you're breaking away, do you write? Do you think music, or do you just break away and just chill? Well, you know, it was a good time spent here for the for me and the project. I I thought a little bit about just hanging in the Nashville and not coming here, mm-hmm. but I wanted to see my wife. Uh, you know, I wanted to kind of get back together with her for a minute. You know, before I headed out on the road. And she was taking care of business here with the house and stuff. So, uh, but you know, as it turns out, it gave me a, 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 a good break for some perspective on what I'm about to do in the next couple of days. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, coming here, I was able to uh, sit and listen to the tracks a little bit and just kind of collect my thoughts and get a little bit of a more of a, a bird's eye view of the thing and uh, not be so uh, you know entrenched in it. You know, uh, and then sometimes that's good. You know. Uh, so it was a nice, it was a, a, you know, a break that uh, had its, you know, benefits uh, besides just being a break, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. where the record's concerned. But, you know, yeah, I got to come over and do a little surfing with my buddies and here in Hawaii, and um, it's, uh, you know, uh, we don't live too far from the beach that we like to go to, and uh, where all the old guys go and surf. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, we, we, it was one beach where they kick us off at being our age you know? um but uh, you know we, we we have a good time here it's we got a lot of friends and family here you know so uh you know i, I always look forward to getting back to hawaii you know? oh, okay. richard page he's a big surfer 
Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he loves serving. We've talked to him a couple times about that. Hey, and also, this is something I just thought about, and uh, we're, we're about to wrap up here, but you're you're an artist also, right? D- don't you paint? Um, you know, to use the term loosely, yes. But, you know, I do it so infrequently, but I, I do enjoy it. I, yeah. Ever since I, when I was a kid, I was, a, you know, a doodler more than anything as an artist. And I tried my hand at, like, oil painting and, and uh Mostly watercolor stuff, but uh, you know it's one of those things I always wished I could had more time to do. You yeah. Know? Uh, so, kind of moving over here to Hawaii uh, in, in the next few years, I'm I'm really hoping to uh, put some time in on that. You know, yeah. and just kind of pursue that. You know, artistic endeavor. You Very know, cool. You're really neat. Thanks. Well, hey, Michael, I, I really appreciate you uh, spending time with us and chatting with you about you know your history, what's happening with you currently. It's it's been a thrill for us, and uh, hopefully we can stay in touch and, and maybe do this again in the future. Guys, thank you so much. I, I appreciate it a lot. Yeah, yep. definitely. You got it. We'll talk to you later. All right. Again. All right. Bye bye. Special thanks to Michael McDonald for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. Also, very special thanks to Inside Music Cast correspondents Scott Gross, Brian Pearson, Kim Riley, Max Zabe, Rupe Reith, and Mikhail Ingstrom. And please visit our website at InsideMusicCast.com, where you can catch up on all of our past interviews, read the Inside Opinion blog, and check out additional bonus content. Inside Music Cast is also on Facebook, where you can become a fan and join in on music conversation with Inside Music Cast fans from around the world. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast. <laughs>